0: You're not going to become any better on your own. Very good. <clears throat> um, that's what all this is talking Everything this morning is that's what it's dealing with is legalism, true legalism. What is true legalism? Works-based salvation. Very good. Workspace salvation, absolutely. So, Scott just read a passage of Scripture that was all about uh, um, people that think they're better than everyone else because of their works, right? True? They they were working their way to heaven, per se. Is that even possible? And in the end... Jesus was very, I, I talk about slamming the door, their head with a two-by-four. Jesus did that with the Pharisees. And the reality is, the reality is this. Jesus looked at those Pharisees who thought they were the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? He first of all told them, you have a sign, the sign of Jonah. That wasn't helpful. Why do you think that wasn't helpful? Why would the Pharisees not want to hear about Jonah? Ninevites. These Ninevites, these Gentiles, repented and came to the Lord. God saved them in essence. Not only that, and how do we know that happened? Because the text says they're going to judge you. (laughs) They're the ones that are going to judge you. You legalistic punks. Literally, that's what Jesus was saying. It's a fantastic passage of scripture. So last week we talked about, we talked about Jonah's fish, this great creature. How many saw all the different possibilities of what they may be? Folks, do not get mad at people that use one of those four uh, uh, examples. Could it have been a whale? Yes. Could it have been a, a fish? Yes. Could it have been a sea creature? Yes. Could it have been something God made? Yes. We don't know. And frankly, it's beside the point, even though that is the focus of almost every single time that preaches, it's beside the point. The reality is what happened was it, was, is what is important. And as we know, God sent or created a creature to save Jonah's life and to judge Jonah, both at the same time. And that's what we talked about last week. Now, why is that so important? Why is it so important? Well, I'm going to show you a symbol Anybody know what that symbol is? It's an ichthy. What does that mean, ichthy? Well, let me point out I, I, ichthy. Ichthy is, well, matter of fact, how many know Mr. Gaiman? Mr. Gaiman is literally an ichthyologist. What is that? Right. He knows fish. He studied fish. I think he got his his, his uh education in ich- theology. <laughs> the study of fish. What is this to us as believers? How many have ever seen this sign? Yeah, like on the back of a of a of a, a van or something, and then you got this. Uh, this this uh slap in the face to Christianity. It's the fish with legs, with Darwinism. <sighs> Anyways, they will learn soon enough. Regardless, this sign is attributed to whom? to Christians and it's so be a picture of whom Christ Christ Jesus this is his sign per se why is that It's okay we're going to talk today because I can't do it very well today why is that Okay Here's what the reality is. This ichthy, which is what it's called, is ichthy, <coughs> is the sign of Christ, and it's Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. All those letters are depicted, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but the point is, it is all about Christ, but why? Why a fish? Well, because of the letters. That's what everybody wants to say. It's about the letters. It's about the letters. It's about the Greek letters. It's not just about the Greek letters, folks. There is Greek letters in this. It is a fish. It's the word fish in Greek. But that symbol is also tied to Jonah. Tell me, when have you ever heard of Jonah without that? Literally. Never. It's tied to that. And in Matthew, we tie Jesus, not we, Jesus himself Ties it to Jonah, the sign of Jonah. Right? Isn't that what he says? And he explains it. Regardless, today we're going to talk about this. It is in the text we've talked about the the the, the, the fish we are all the way down to the end where he is thrown overboard. By the way, he is thrown overboard, and then God brings a fish and saves his life. Whether then or later, he saves his life. We know the story. Well it is such an important story that Jesus intimately ties himself to it like he does no other. True? Matter of fact, he says, and this is really just blows my mind and and I don't know that I've read anywhere where people really get into the depths of it, is someone there's coming a greater than Jonah. Do you remember the text that says that? Is there a sense that Jesus is equating himself with Jonah? Yes or no? Absolutely. There's no question he's doing that. And that what, he, he uses the term greater than Jonah. Do you see that? if he's greater than Jonah than Jonah was what did you here's my point how did Jesus view Jonah all we know is he adopted the sign of Jonah as his own and number 2 that he is greater than Jonah That's how Jesus viewed Jonah. Let me ask you, is that anywhere near where we view Jonah? Not in the least. Listen, I am not talking about that today in general or in specific, but in general, I think we need to study that. In general, I think we need to think about that. Now, here's Jesus, called in a sense, Not disparaging Jonah whatsoever, but actually holding him in some esteem by adopting the sign and by saying there's one greater than Jonah coming. I think there's a lot of issues in that that should challenge us as Christians today, regardless of that. This morning I am going to explain this. Then I'm going to explain how the sign of Jonah, in some senses, not, not, not holistically, because I can't do that, there's just not enough time, and I don't know that I'm that good of a theologian I can exhaustively explain the sign of Jonah. How many can understand that? There's probably things that I'm not going to tell you, so, but the things that I am going to tell you are so vitally important, so vitally important. So this ichthys, to start with, this ichthy, is from the Greek word ichthys. Pronunciation, is, it's the Greek fish. Fish is the modern rendition. It's a symbol consisting of two intersecting arcs. How many notice that? That's probably one of the first things you drew as a drawer, right? Look, Mom, I can do a fish, right? It's pretty easy. So it's very common, it's used all over to resemble a fish. To be sure, this sign of a fish, according to history, did you hear that? History, the Christians used it. And matter of fact, some people believe that Christ himself used it. And the reality is, this is what is understood in history, that Christians, first of all, were Christians persecuted during the life of Christ and certainly after the life of Christ. Yes or no? So, how many have ever been on a plane? How many have ever had a, been was able to sit by all yourself on a plane? Oh, really? Wow. Most of the time we're sitting next to a stranger, right? Most of the time. How do you know if they're a believer or not? Do you know? By the end of the conversation, the end of the flight, should you know? Yes. So the Roe versus Wade thing was a huge thing, and I was in California going to the Master's uh, um, Shepherds Conference. I got on the plane... I was the last guy to get on. Actually, they made a place for me in first class. Like, super cool. Because the plane got canceled, and this guy, so I'll tell you the story. And then I won't. This guy got up and was just in the face of the stewardess, yelling and screaming at her that he needed to get to Minneapolis and he better do it. And she just said, no. And as the guy looked back, he said, young man, you come here. I looked like a young man at that time, there is a plane, two doors down, you go there, you give them the name, you're going. And she gave me the only ticket that the whole place had in LAX. How many have ever been to LAX? Oh! (laughs) LAX is bigger than the town of Grand Rapids. It's insane. Anyways. I get there and they put me in first class and feed me steak and asparagus and oh, it was just unbelievable. But I sat down and this lady next to me asked me my name and what I did. And immediately, because of what I did, she said, well, then you, you are against abortion, aren't you? So how'd you know that? Well, you're a believer, aren't you? and the whole conversation then was a sweet conversation between two christians it's because she asked me my pos- profession that's why but let me ask you are you going to use ask somebody your profession in 33 ad or ask a person about their if they're a christian or not in 34 or 35 ad in jerusalem Ah, no way. You get to where Stephen did that. Peter did that. Peter left. John left. Literally, all of them eventually left. But many were martyred, and all of them were persecuted. True? So this sign, according to history, this sign was used. How would they use it? How many of you remember Jesus with the Pharisees over the woman of in call, caught in adultery? I remember that. What was Jesus doing? Writing in the sand. What was he writing? I don't know. Good. Good. Thank you. <laughs> because there are a lot of people said Jesus wrote a lot of things, Regardless, we don't know. But literally, writing in the sand was a normal thing. That was their template. They didn't have iPads. Here, I'll text you. <laughs> that didn't work. I'm sure maps were driven were all over in the sand. How many could envision that? Certainly. Well, this is exactly what happened with Christians. They would walk along, and they would stop and talk to each other, and they'd do this. They would take their stick and put an ark. If the other person took a stick and finished the ark, they knew they could talk about the Lord. How many understand that? Because it was a sign of Christ. That was the sign. We see it all over the catacombs and down under Rome. You see these fish. Were they fish people? No, they were Christians. They didn't love fish. They didn't get buried with their goldfish, I, I don't think. Today, I don't know. <laughs> Regardless, it's all about the fish. It's all about Jesus. And the reason it's about Jesus is how it's written out. The I, if you will, and I'm, this is Greek and it's Greek to all of us. But the first letter is the first letter in Yeshua or Jesus. That's why this is there. He's Jesus. The X, what is the X? By the way, everybody gets mad, uh, and understandably, but Christmas with an X. Why? Instantly, we get the idea they're taking Christ out of it. Actually, it's, that is Christ. X is a symbol of Christ. Christos. Christos is the term. It means anointed. Theta, that's the... Circle uh, circle with a something in the middle of it, right? Theta, what is that? Theo God God. Then Ypsilon. This Y that's there. Sun. And then lastly, Sigma or Savior. Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior. All of it is in that, those letters which spell the word ichtha. Does that make sense? Or ichthy, sorry. That's where we get this ichtha. That's Now, that's very true, and we praise the Lord for that, and we see it all over. Matter of fact, I showed you at the beginning. This, <clears throat> this was a... Th- by the way, this not okay. This is on a sarcophagus in Jerusalem area. And it's about Jonah and a fish or a sea creature, and there's also ones with ichthas in it. And it's they they believe they're Christians. Actually, people believe that that's actually Jesus, Christ's tomb. Just think of that. We found Christ's tomb, Christ and his family. Did you do a DNA test? We actually did. Really? Where would you get the DNA? They, uh, and they spend money on it. It, it. It's crazy. Regardless, Jesus is not dead. And to be honest with you, those people that say this is Jesus' body, they do not understand the sign of Jonah. At all. The sign of Jonah goes to the very heart of this issue. Regardless, the sign of Jonah, we're going to talk about that for just a second. This is the sign of Christ. But what is the sign of Jonah? The sign of Jonah, and we're going to use multiple sources today. These are not my own. These are our studies materials that I have used and I have researched. The phrase sign of Jonah was used by Jesus as a typological metaphor for his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. You'd say, well, what, 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 that's a cross. It was a cross. So what about his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection? Well, we'll get into that in just a little bit. Jesus answered with this expression when he asked the Pharisees, "As Scott just read Teacher, we want a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. Who do you think you are? In other words, these people, first of all, they have just pronounced Jesus as Satan in essence. Who can do this except for Beelzebub is the exact word. Who does this? That must be Satan. See, you aren't who you say you are. Instead, you do this by demons and and the devil, Satan. Well, the reality is, who did that miracle that Jesus is being accredited for? The Bible says the Holy Spirit did. And therefore, they're telling the Holy Spirit, Satan. They're attributing the works of the Holy Spirit to Satan. And God said, enough is enough. I mean... I tell you what, praise God for his character because if it was me, I would have gone, you're done, whatever. You know, just point them in with a laser eyes or whatever and just wipe them off the face of the earth. But God is a God of grace and mercy. That's why he said a wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign. Well, the reality is they were wicked, they were adulterous, they were by the way, in bed with religion and a works-based salvation. The reality is they would, is what we would call legalists. They were legalists. None will be given, he says, you wicked, adulterous and legalistic generation, you ask for a sign None will be given it. I just gave you a sign, by the way. Are you kidding me? I just sent a demon out of this girl, healed this person, and and now you want a sign? You don't want a sign. You want to kill me. You're a lying person, you. You fake, you fraud. But he goes along with their lies. He says, but none of you will be given it. No one will be given a sign except there is a sign and that's the sign of the prophet Jonah. When we are preaching through the book of Jonah, we want to preach all of Jonah and all of scripture. And this is the last one apart from Jonah itself. And it fitting that that's where we're at because this sign of Jonah is exactly the issue that deals with him being thrown overboard by other people into the ocean to die and a whale saves his life. So what is the sign of Jonah? We'll get there. Hang on. The Bible then says for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish. So the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, the question is, on that thing, and we'll get to that Lord willing, was Jesus three days and three nights in the heart of the earth? Was Jesus three days and three nights as we understand three days and three nights in the heart of the earth? Do you know what that answer is? I don't know. But as far as it was back then, absolutely. How many understand that? Jesus was in the grave three days and three nights according to the text. What does that mean? You can't say what you know of three days and three nights equals what they understood as three days and three nights. We can't do that. That we're not sure of. I'm going to share with you multiple ways you can understand that. But for right now, that needs to be understood. Jesus in the context historically when he was back then was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so was Jonah. Both of them were. Why? How do I know? I will try to sing it. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. Right? Don't worry about tomorrow, but just be real good today. The Lord's right beside you. He'll guide you all the way. How many ever heard that? All right. One of you. The Bible says it, so it has to be true. We just don't understand the context usually. The men of Nineveh, then the Bible goes on, the men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. Whew. Why? For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now something greater than Jonah is here. To fully appreciate the answer that Jesus gave, we go go back to the Old Testament of Jonah. God commanded the prophet Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and warn its people that he was going to destroy it for its wickedness. Is that what God told Jonah to do? Yes. Did Jonah want to do it? No. Why? Why? There's a historical answer, but we can't be dogmatic on why he did anything. Why? The scripture doesn't tell us specifically. Jonah d- disobediently ran from the Lord and headed to the city of Tarshish by boat. The Lord then sent a severe storm, caused the cruise ship to fear for the lives. Jonah was soon, What? thrown overboard and swallowed by a great fish where he remained three days and three nights. It is, it is the, this three days that Jesus was referring to when he spoke of the sign of the Jonah. But I think there's more than that. Listen, we are not going to take Scripture and metaphor it all. Amen? We don't take Scripture and spiritualize it all. But when Scripture says Jonah is a type, and that's exactly what they're saying, we've got to understand what's going on. He's using Jonah as a metaphor to what's going to happen to Jesus. Amen? It's exactly what he's doing. So it's okay to view this text as metaphoric when we preach the text, because that's what Jesus did. If you're going to metaphor another passage of Scripture in the Old Testament because you feel like it, don't talk to me, I ain't going to listen. How many understand that? That is not up to me. It's only up to Scripture and God to do that. I do not have that right to spiritualize Scripture as I feel. Amen. This is the three days and three nights Jesus and Jonah had in common. Jesus' paralleling of Pharisees with the people of Nineveh is very telling in this text that Scott just read. The people repented of their evil ways in verses 4 through 10 of chapter 3 of Jonah. Did the Pharisees? No, they reveled in their sin. Oh, but they kept the law, at least outwardly. Nineveh, they repented. Sackcloth, ashes, turning from their evil ways, the Bible actually says in Jonah 3, 4 through 10. So after hearing Jonah's call for repentance, these These scoundrels, these the most horrific, wicked, nasty people that the world had ever known at that time, repented. They were the worst of the worst. They were the most horrible, gruesome, gross, disgusting deeds ever done on this earth. And guess what? God broke their heart. They believed and repented. Amen. So that's what God, here's Jonah, this putrefied man, literally, literally putrefied man, is telling them this. I should make it even more glorious here. That putrefied Jewish man came into this Nineveh, nasty, horribly barbaric city and told them all by himself, could be up to six million people. And he says, "Uh, you guys want to, you need to repent. Because if you don't repent, God's going to come and destroy you in 40 days. So repent. And guess what? He didn't have a master's in theology that I'm aware of. He had no Ph.D. in speaking. And as we read the text, he really wasn't into it very well. Because he just kind of said it like God told him to say it, you know. Kind of like, yeah, yeah, do this, do this. It, that's what it seems like. But regardless, God broke their heart. And they repented. And then God didn't do the judgment like he said. And so here's these guys who, by the way, they hate Jonah because they don't, they don't like Gentiles. <laughs> they hate Jonah. Because all these Gentiles came to repentance. They know the story, right? And then he's saying, listen, you know Jonah. Ooh, yeah. But it's not only that he was the catalyst that helped a nation repent. But also, he was the guy that was thrown to his death by others. Laid for dead at the bottom of the ocean, yet something happened. Something happened that saved that man's life. It's interesting before we get into that far, uh, from the time of Jonah's preaching, the people of Nineveh had how many days to repent? Forty days. From the time of Jesus' preaching, what happened 40 years later? Anybody remember what happened in AD 70? The temple and all of Jerusalem was laid waste. By AD 69, history tells us that Jewish women were eating their children. Just so you know what's going on. This is 40 years before Jesus is telling the religious leaders of the day, you are worse off than Nineveh. The sign of Jonah, think about it. I adopt that sign as my own. That was a foreshadowing of what I am going to do. He didn't say all that, but this is what he's saying, if you understand what I mean. They did not repent. In fact, they killed Jesus. And they didn't repent and turn from their ways, and Jerusalem was absolutely, utterly destroyed by A.D. seventy. So what do we make of these days? So what, what, what about the days? Well, I'm going to give you th- three theories. There are probably many more theories of what those days are. But three days and three nights. Was Jesus saying that he would be dead for three full 24-hour periods before he would rise from the dead? Is that what he was saying? Some people believe that's what he's saying because that's what we believe when we hear three days and three nights, right? So because that's what we believe, that's what it is. That's what it means back 2,000 years ago. Well, you can't do that. That's just not fair. Try the term gay and do see how that works. 2,000 years ago. The reality is, one view is that The Hebrew reckoning of time, the days could refer to three days in part or three days in whole. Jesus was probably, according to this theory, crucified on Friday. So he was in the grave Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. He rose. So he's in the day, he was in there three days. The problem with that is it's not fair to say three days and three nights. You're being a little bit more specific than this three days, right? So then there's another theory that Jesus was then crucified on Thursday instead of Friday. And therefore, he would have three days and three nights, right? Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. There's three nights. The problem is there's four days then, Sunday. Correct? So that's another theory. Another theory, I'll give you one more. And listen, I'm not saying one's wicked and horrible and terrible and they can they're gonna die in hell because if they have that theory but the reality is one author said he says well the three days and three nights isn't talking just about his death it's talking about the whole the whole persecution and then eventual death to this resurrection in other words when was jesus put on trial well he was caught when Late Thursday night, early Friday morning, there goes three days and three nights. How many can understand that? I'm not saying one's right or one's wrong. I'm saying there are theories out there. The reality is Jesus died. He was in, I believe he was in Sheol, setting the captives free. I do not believe. And by the way, the Bible does not say this in any way, shape, or form. Jesus did not go to hell to pay Satan his deed for his freedom. Oh my goodness. That person is a liar and has not understood any of scripture. That is the most ridiculous thing you could say. God doesn't owe Satan anything. The penalty that was paid was not paid to Satan. It was paid to God. He's the standard. Satan's just a punk. A bad one, but he's a punk. And he's bound for hell because that's the whole reason hell was created. Amen. Okay, enough of that. But that's important. Regardless. The expression three days and three nights, whatever view you take, it certainly could be a figure of speech. Maybe it's literal. I personally think it's a figure of speech. And it's talking about when he died on Friday and rose on Wednesday or Sunday. But regardless, God used these signs, all signs, a lot of signs, to authenticate the messenger. Now, did those Pharisees believe that Jonah literally, whether he died or not, he was thrown in the ocean and he came out on some land dry and lived after a portion of time, yes or no? Absolutely. Do you think? Now, this is a little weird, but do you think The people that, if they were people that saw him come out of the water from a fish, do you think that they thought he was some kind of a, first of all, was that a sign from God? (laughs) Do you think that they maybe thought that he was a God? Well, the reality is Nineveh was understood. One of their gods was the God of fish. Worshipped a fish God regardless God uses signs to authenticate his prophets amen so how do we know that did moses was he given did moses give pharaoh signs to prove his authenticity that he was from god absolutely did elijah use signs from god to show his authenticity, that God is a God of fire too. He'll wipe out stones. I'd love to see what those melted stones look like, or destroyed stones. I would. I can't. I hope there's a Super Eight or something. Or not Super Eight film. How many know what Super Eight film is? Something to see what God did back then. I'd love to see that. Did God use miracles in the New Testament with Paul? and the disciples to authenticate their ministries yes or no absolutely over and over the sign of jonah is also that sign why he's of god he is of god the sign of jonah would turn out to be jesus's greatest miracle of all what is that his resurrection from the dead That would be God's chief sign that Jesus was Israel's long-awaited Messiah and established Christ's claim to his deity. Another sign of Jonah was that many first century Jews believed the Ninevites repented When Jonah preached because they knew God spoke through him. Well, obviously. They knew this because they knew God saved him from drowning. Similarly, Jesus' resurrection, which is like Jonah's rescue, also signifies God's vindication of him and affirms the truth of his words. Yet even even miracles will not be enough to a religious bigot, legalistic dork, if you will, Even Jesus throwing out a demon, healing a woman, all those things, that wouldn't change the hard-hearted people that said they believed in God. On Judgment Day, the generation that rejects God's Son will be condemned by whom, according to the text. The Ninevites and the Queen of the South, which are prophetic. Ironically, these pagans turn to the true God, but most Israelites who will see the greater sign of their Lord's resurrection will not believe. So here's the deal the reality is, here's Jonah walking, the thrown up man walks into town and preaches the gospel that God told him to, and they all repent. And here's Jesus who walks into town, tells them who God is, tells them who He is, and they say, That's exactly what happened! That's the sad sign of what happened. But there's also an awesome signs of what happened. One of them is this. Did Jonah, was he a substitutionary death? Yes or no? Absolutely. I just preached this two weeks ago. You have the text in front of you. The Bible's very clear throw me in to save your lives that is the very definition of a substitutionary death jonah is a sign of god's Christ's substitutionary death the story of a substitutionary it begin they said to him what shall we do to thee that the sea may be calm for the sea wrought was tempestuous And he said to them, take me up, cast me forward into the sea, so the sea shall be common unto you. For I know that for my sake the greatest tempest is upon you. In other words, throw me overboard so you can be saved. Pilate said the same thing about Jesus. One man so that all will be saved, right? It's the same issue. And it's the same thing with these legalistic people. They were all upset of God. And here's the deal. Even the people on the ship, these Gentiles, they said, hey, we can row. We can get rid of this. We can do this. We can do this. But we're not going to do that. And they tried everything in their power to save themselves, and they couldn't do it. They were not saved until a substitution death took place. I'm telling you, it's the same thing. You can try to clean up your life all you want. You ain't going to do it. You can try to turn a new leaf. You can try to get right. You can try to whatever. It's not going to work because the only thing that saves you from sin and death and hell is Jesus Christ and faith in him. That's exactly the picture that is turned over and over again with Jonah. How can I get saved? I can say 25 Hail Marys. That will not get you anything but a yucky squash pie. (laughs) It'll get you nothing. Whoa, 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 whoa. What if I don't swear? There's going to be a lot of people that have never swore in hell. Well, 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 what about not telling a lie? If that, no, we won't go in there. Everyone tells a lie. Heaven will be fill, filled with liars. What about drinking? I, I've never tasted a drop of alcohol in my life. There's going to be a lot of drunks in heaven and there's gonna be a lot of dry, sober people in hell, because none of those things are gonna save you from anything. It's not about cleaning up your life. It's about putting your trust in Christ. It's about faith in Him. Now I will tell you, that faith in Him will, want, will make you want to change your life. Matter of fact, that faith in him will make you want to repent more and more and more and more. That faith in him results in true repentance. Substitutionary death. Notice, notice, we talked about this a little bit, but I didn't, I, I, maybe I didn't bring it up good enough for you. Jonah could have jumped off the ship. But instead, God had other plans. Remember I told you, Nineveh was going to eventually judge Israel. That's what, okay, your judgment is coming from the hand of, this, of these Ninevites, these Gentiles. Well, I will tell you this. God's judgment against his son. How many get that? God's judgment against his son came at the hands of the unbelievers. Both Jews and Gentiles. It came on. They're the the Gentiles, by the way, are the ones I had to put them on the cross, legally. But the Jews were behind the scenes pushing that to happen. The reality is, Jonah is a picture of the hands of others killing him, not him committing suicide. Does that make sense? Another metaphor. Say, well, all these metaphors. This is what it's all about. In this text. The mariners were afraid. And cried every man unto his God. They prayed to their gods. It didn't work. They threw out, the, threw out the cargo. It didn't work. They tried to cast lots. And find out whose problem it was. In order to discipline them. That didn't work. Finally. Jonah says listen guys. Just take me up, throw me off. And they said, no, 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 we can do this. You know what? One of the worst things, worst phrases that send most people to hell is, we can do this. You can't. You can't. They even at the end said, we'll row ashore. And they dug as hard as they could. And the storm got worse until the substitutionary death of Jonah. As soon as they threw him overboard, what happened? A sea of glass. There will be those who will try some religion or any other, some religion other than the Christian religion, some way other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Still, the storm within their bosom and the storms of God's wrath will continue. They cannot fight it. False religion cannot win. There are others, and well, someone, if, if I can just turn over a new leaf, or I can just get reformed, or if I can just lighten the ship, if I, can, if I can figure out these things on my life on my own. Listen, folks, you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Someone owns you, and that's Christ. He is your only hope. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, folks, you are bound for hell, period. And there will be a day when you stand in front of that judgment and the Ninevites will be one of your judges that condemns you. The most wicked people that world has ever known. Now, how's that going to work for a legalist? You can't do it. Salvation, Jonah found out, is of the Lord. And one of the greatest sentences in the book of Jonah is found, what we will talk about hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Salvation is of the Lord. Period. Salvation is of the Lord. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His Mercy, he saved us. The Bible says to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Romans chapter 6 or 8, I think it says, it's not what a man wills or his work, but it's God and who he has grace upon. How glad I am that God has given us back here in the Old Testament a clear and plain picture. Number one, Of a substitutionary death. One died for all. (laughs) After they threw Jonah in. Remember what they did? Oh Lord we cry unto you. Oh, Lord, we beseech you. Oh, Lord, we worship you. Oh, Lord, we hallowed you. Oh, Lord, we do this, right? After the substitutionary death, they loved the Lord. And the sea stopped her raging. What false worship could not do what what reformation and lightning the ship could not do. What human effort, toil, and tears and sweat could not do. A substitutionary sacrifice did. How? When? Immediately. Immediately. So, the picture that we have of sign of Jonah is a substitutionary death. Another picture that we have for the sign of Jonah is a supernatural deliverance. A supernatural deliverance. Jonah 1.17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Matthew chapter 12, And as Jonah was in the belly of three days and three nights, so the Son of Man is going to be in the heart of the earth. Jesus was foretelling His death. And also his resurrection. Now, some scholars believe that Jonah actually died when he was in the fish. And I've I've given you reasons for that. And I don't don't think I'm going to say they're wrong or I'm right or whatever. I think we need to have deference on it. He may have died. We don't know. And God may have given him life. God may have resuscitated Jonah. Why? Because in Jonah chapter 2, we find that Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And he said what? And he said this, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. And then what does he say? Out of the belly, verses 1 and 2, out of the belly of some of you, your text says, Hell, I cried. And some of you have, Sheol, I cried. And what? listen, what happened? What happened? Verses 1 and 2. I heard, you heard my voice. You heard me. You heard me and you delivered me. So there's a substitutionary death. Jesus died for all. Jonah died for the ship's crew. But there's also supernatural deliverance. God raised him up. Amen? He raised him up. There's actually a text that says he raised. we were raised up with him. I believe that's in, I think it's in Ephesians. Ah, I can't remember. Regardless, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so Jonah was raised from the sea. Whether he was dead or not, that's an, a matter of debate. And it really doesn't matter in the end. The point is, he was raised, he was raised, set on ground to do a mission. And that mission was to preach the text, to preach deliverance, to preach the gospel. Supernatural deliverance. Lastly, there's a third and final thing, and that is serious dimensions. In all of this. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said in verse 39, But he answered a son unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign. And there shall not sign given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment. Just underscore that phrase, rise in judgment. With this generation and shall condemn it. Condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater Jonah is here. This story of substitutionary death is awesome. It is a story of not only substitutional death, but also supernatural deliverance. But it's also this Jesus talking to these jerks. Prove yourself, give us a sign. You already have a sign. Can I remind you of the man who raised up out of the sea after three days and three nights and the whale and he went to a place and they all repented? I'm going to be, he doesn't say this, but he lends, he, he gives uh, an essence that this is what he's trying to tell them. The Son of Man will be in the grave three days and three nights and he will be resurrected. How many of you are going to repent. And how many of them did? We're not, we're not aware of any. We're not aware of any of those Pharisees or Sadducees. Could they have? Sure, they could have. I'm not saying there wasn't. But the record doesn't talk about any of them that did. Nicodemus before that did, but that was before the resurrection. So what is he saying? Jesus is saying that when God comes to judge us, God is not going to judge us primarily by the sin we've committed. For we all have committed sin, but the, but, but the light we have rejected. Does that make sense? It's about the light that we have rejected. There was hardly a more wicked city in the world than Nineveh, if there even was. As a matter of fact, they were ripe, ripe for judgment. And God said he was going to destroy it. But God said that men of Nineveh will rise in judgment to condemn this religious peoples. He was speaking there to religious people who were lost, but who were given great light The oracles of God they had. As a matter of fact, the Son of God was in their midst. As a matter of fact, the Son of God was actually talking to them. And their scriptures are full about Him. And they hated Him. They had become literally face to face with the truth. So what is this dimension? Here's the dimension. The more light you have, the greater judgment you are under. Do you understand that? It would be better for you to go to hell from Nineveh than it would be from here. From, from a church. Church. The Bible says in Luke 12, 48, unto whomever much is given, of him shall much be required. Do you realize that we who live in this generation don't only have the sign of Jonah? We also have the sign of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. We not only have the shadow which they had, we have them both. We are more accountable than they were. I really believe that they will face a less punishment, if you will. Not that they won't be in hell, they will. I truly believe there's a hotter place in hell for religious bigots. And the problem is, we as Christians need to be careful not to be one. We who live in this generation don't only have the sign of John. We have the resurrection of Christ. And Acts chapter 1 is such, so clear about it. One of the authors that I read this week, I loved, I loved it. I loved this. And this is with this I'm going to end. I'm not even going to go to the end of it. I'm going to end it with this. This author says this, I've always been amazed how people will dress up to celebrate Easter who are not Christian, they're literally dressing up to go to hell. Paul says, God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, He's talking now about judgment, the same judgment that Jesus is talking about. God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man who hath ordained. Who is the man that God ordained to judge? Who alone is able to open the seal? Jesus is his name. Jesus is that judge. He's going to judge us. God has given assurance of the judgment in that he raised Jesus from the dead. You can't have a judge that's dead. No, Jesus is alive and well, amen, and sitting at the right hand of God. You can't have a judge if people are dead. Oh, no, they will be resurrected. All people will be resurrected and stand before God at one time in their life. And he's going to look at him, and he's going to say, man, you never drank. Good job. You never smoked. Good for you. You never said a dirty word. Man, that's just great. But man, depart from me. You never knew me into everlasting darkness and hell. It's about our faith in Jesus Christ and trusting in Him. Not trusting in not doing things. Trusting in Him. Those things will happen eventually if you're a believer. You're going to hate hurting people. You're going to hate disparaging words against people. Those things you will hate because you're growing in the Lord and you will repent of those things and get right with God. But folks, it takes faith to be truly born again. The story of Jonah is a story of a substitutionary death, a story of supernatural deliverance, a story of serious dimensions. And the verse we need to call to our mind over and over and over again, lest we be one of them, which very well possible. But he knew that not, he knew that not and committed things worthy of stripes, but shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whosoever much is given of him, much shall be required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. Folks, you have been given the word of God. There is no excuse. Embrace Christ. Be thou my vision. Amen? Mr. Zaren, can you come and close us with a word of prayer, please? Prayer. Oh, yeah. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this book of Jonah. Father, help us to grasp the true message here. Lord, we can turn all the throw the baggage overboard, Father, we can row the boat shore, Father, we will not reach that shore until we truly embrace the truth of this passage, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to not be legalists, but by faith accept what you have provided for us in your Son. In his name we pray, amen.